Welcome. Last week, if you were here, you know that we kicked off our Christmas series, kind of. We wrapped up our, Christmas, our, our fall series, not alone, but we also kicked off our Christmas series at the same time. Um, we talked about hope, right? And uh, we said last week, let there be hope. There's a lot of things in the world that cause us to be hopeless. We spent a lot of the fall talking about that. Christmas says something different. It says, let there be hope. And so throughout this Christmas season, our series is going to be it's going to be called Let There Be. Last week it was Let There Be Hope. Um, if you know the very first words that God speaks in the Bible, do you know what they are? They're those words, let there, let there be. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be sky and land and waters, and there was those things. Let there be vegetation, plants, animals, and humans. When God speaks, when God speaks, Things come into existence. Things happen. Things are made real when God speaks. What we believe about Christmas time, and it's not just because we believe it, it's because it says this, especially um, in Scripture and the Gospel of John. What we believe is that at Christmas time, when Jesus is born, God has spoken a new word. God has spoken again. God has said something new, and it's the deepest word we need to hear. And it's the highest word we need to hear. And it's really um, his, it's not his final word, but it is his definitive word. And in a way, it is his final word because it's the same word he'll speak at the end of all things. When, when Jesus is born in that, Beth, in that manger at Bethlehem, on that first Christmas morning, God has said something to us. God's word has been spoken there and then. And when he speaks, things happen. Things are made real. That's what we talked about last week with hope, right? Hope is made real at Christmas. Um, he invites us into a relationship with him where if we engage in that relationship, if we take on what he offers and we follow him and we walk with him, we will live in a hope that is, that is not um, dreamed of before. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how Christmas time, Christmas brings peace. Christmas brings glory. Christmas brings joy. This morning... We're going to talk about, um, actually, ironically, the very first thing that God created, you know, Genesis, page one, chapter one, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let there be light. Um, in the Gospel of John, John says, uh, John kind of puts the whole thing like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And um, he says, in him was life, and this life was the light of all people, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And then he continues and says, and this word, it became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's, that's Jesus. That's what, that's, what Jesus, that's what Jesus is. Word made flesh, light dwelling among us. And it's not just the Gospel of John that talks about Jesus and light like this. Um, the Gospel of Luke, another one of the books that is all about Jesus' life, um, they talk about this, or in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about this too. And we talked about this last week, actually. Luke pictures um, life before Jesus as something like a dark night where there is no light to see. It's cold, it's lonely, it's hopeless. It might be endless. That dark night before the dawn, but at at the birth of Jesus, this is how he talks about it. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. The, 
the light of the sun finally has pierced the darkness of the night and shed light into this earth to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. When we talk about light in reference to um, really like all of scripture, but Christmas in particular, there's really two metaphors that are used again and again. One is really what we talked about last week. Light is a metaphor for hope, right? To give light to those who sit in darkness, who are stuck in the darkness that they're in, who can't see a way out, who are literally stuck sitting in the shadow of death, right? Who live um, in the shadow of things that they wish weren't coming. And that's what we talked about last week. That was hope, light. Um, Christmas brings hope. Christmas brings light to people who are stuck like that. The other thing, though, that light does, and you see it on the bottom there, it guides our feet into the way of peace. Light shows us the way forward. Light directs us. And you get this. You've been in a dark place before, unexpectedly, and you don't know where to go or where to, um, how to find your way out. If you could imagine um, being stuck out in the woods and it gets darker than you think unexpectedly and you have no light and you don't know where to go, could you imagine what it would be like to be stuck in the middle of the woods um, in the dark with really not, really not a way forward? You're not sure if you should go that way or you should go this way. You're not sure if the step that you take is going to be off of a cliff and you're going to fall to your peril. You're not sure what's out in the woods lurking. But when light comes, after a long and dark night like that, when light comes, um, it floods the area and you could see where to go so that your feet can avoid the holes and the pitfalls, so that your feet can stay on the path that you're meant to stay on, so that you can avoid the peril. And that's the aspect of light that we're going to talk about this morning. It guides our feet. And this is something um, that's not just talked about in the Gospel of Luke. There's a, there's a passage in Psalms that is like the, the passage to get. And this is the passage to memorize, to take a photo of, um, to make it your screensaver on your computer. Not screensaver, your background on your, on your phone thingy. Um, this is it. Psalm 119. Your word, God's word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When you put that together with what we hear about Jesus as being the light of the world, you see how this all works together, right? As God's definitive word, as what God wants to say to us, Jesus is the light of the world. He talks about himself like that. His birth, his coming, lamp to our feet, light to our path, light to guide us. And when you are in a relationship with this Jesus like this, This light is experienced. It's made real. It makes a difference in your life. The light that God spoke into existence and the birth of Jesus illuminates our darkness so that we can see the path ahead of us. We can see what's the wrong path. We can see things that are otherwise hidden. And I don't know about you, but don't you want that? Don't don't you need that sometimes? I mean, I do. To be shown the right way forward. To be shown the best way forward. Because whether we like it or not, right, life, life happens to us. Things happen, sometimes our fault, sometimes not our fault. We're all put in positions all the time where we don't know what to do. Where we're not sure of what path to take forward, right? Do I go left or do I go right? Do I stay or do I go? Do I, 
Do I fight or do I flight? We're all in situations all the time, and I would say every day, where we don't know how to decide because we can't see in front of us. The path is not lit up for us. It's too dark to see the dangers ahead. It's too dark to maybe even see the good thing that we're missing on our path. It's too dark. We can't see clearly. We need help. Now, I bet for each and every one of you, you have at least one thing this morning, one big decision that you're not quite sure what the right way forward is what the right way to go, what the right path is. There's that one big question. And I bet for every one big question that you have, there's probably a thousand little questions that are equally, are also life-changing, also life-impacting, also difficult. What do you do? Faced with making that sort of decision at the crossroad of where you are, at that crossroad, at that point, in the dark, when you can't see the way forward, what do you do? Christmas would tell you that you let there be light. Let there be a lamp on your feet and light to your path. So the question that we're going to ask this morning is how do we let that light in? How do we let that light guide us and show us the way and guide our feet, as Luke says, um, into the way of peace? How, how do we do that? To look at this, we're going to look at a story um, it happens to be a Christmas story, and it, it doesn't talk about light, it doesn't talk in these terms, but it's a story of a man who is at a crossroads, and he is faced with a decision where he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to go forward, and God's, wor- God's word, that lamp, that light shines upon his path, and he goes forward. So it happens, um, it's in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, here's, how, here's how that story begins. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, when Jesus' mother had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, in those days, engagement was something different than what we think of engagement as today. Um, Engagement in those days was more like marriage. It was a legal betrothal. It was a legal binding thing. So that they referred to each other as husbands and wives, The money was already connected. In those days, it's ugly and not really something we like to talk about, but like women were property more than anything else. And so we're not going to talk about that today, but like that was a thing. Um, And so like in a very real way, Mary already belonged to Joseph and to Joseph's family. And that we can talk about that later, right? But um, you get to the point, right? Uh, They were engaged, but before they lived together. And we know what that means, before they lived together. They did not have the sort of marital relations that we enjoy when we're married and we live together, right? They didn't do that. And this was not the sort of culture where you could like rent a hotel room and get that done, right? And you didn't, they didn't have cars back then. That was like a thing. So um, they, didn't, they didn't do that thing. And in that culture, you did not have sex before you were married. That was God's plan. That was God's design. You did not do that. And so you see the problem. Mary is prego. Uh, and... Joseph, and Joseph doesn't know how, like, Joseph, he knows he wasn't involved. He doesn't know any of this Holy Spirit business. He thought Mary was pregnant by the way that every single human being has ever gotten pregnant up until this point in history, and she knows it isn't his. All he sees is what he sees. And so Joseph is faced with a tough decision here. What do I do with Mary? 
What's the right thing to do about this situation? Now, for us today, if we were in this situation, it would be a really tough decision to make, right? Could you imagine being engaged to someone or like just newly married to someone and you find out that they got pregnant by someone else? Right? It's a tough situation. It's pretty hard to even think about and deal with and like, I, I wouldn't want to enter into that. That's hard enough today. In that day, though, this situation was like 50 times more difficult. This was a culture that was based off of, like, um, off of shame and off of honor, right? And so for Mary, for a woman to get pregnant like this, outside of marriage, not by the person she was engaged to, not by her husband, this would have brought just incredible shame, not only on Mary, but on her entire family. There's a good chance Mary's family um, wouldn't have been able to participate in work, in worship. They might have been like kicked out of the community, right? That was like Mary's situation. Um, but for Joseph, if, if, if Joseph was the one who actually impregnated Mary, like, this would have also meant the same for Joseph and for Joseph's family. And since he was a man, he wouldn't have been the one that would have been able to work any longer. There would have been so much shame on his family that they would have been excluded this was something that ruined both of their futures because of the shame, because of the honor culture that they had back then. And so what does Joseph do? What, what could he do? Um, the very next passage says that he's a righteous man. These were good, law-abiding Jewish people. And so the law, what it says in the Old Testament, really gives Joseph two ways forward. The first way is found in Deuteronomy 22. And basically the answer there is, if she, if she gets pregnant, this means just put her to death. Stone her to death. Kill her. It's totally okay. It's a justified thing. If Joseph were to say that's what should happen, that would have been a totally legal thing for Joseph to say to do. And what that would have done is in the eyes of that culture, that would have said to all of Joseph's friends and family and people who surrounded him, okay, this is not Joseph's fault. This was all on Mary. Mary was to blame um, Joseph would have his honor restored. He would be vindicated. He could get back to work. He could get back to worship. He could get back to life. So that's option one. It's a good option for Joseph. It's the easiest option for Joseph. He walks away clean. It's a bad option for Mary. Really bad. Because she would be dead. But it's also a bad option for Joseph because Joseph loves Mary. Right? So that's option one. Not so good. Sometimes, though, life gives us options that are like that where we have to choose between two really bad options, right? Option number two, it's in Deuteronomy 24, just two chapters later. This option is a man can divorce his wife for basically any reason he wants. A man can get divorced for whatever reason he wants. He has to write the certificate, give it to the thing, and that's it, and they get divorced. And it's, it really doesn't cost Joseph anything. Um, it's kind of a free thing. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, that's kind of another option. And if he's going to get divorced, this is a pretty good reason to get divorced, right? She got pregnant by someone else. If there's like a justified reason to get divorced, pretty guilt-free, that's pretty good for Joseph. This is also an option. And this is actually what he ends up deciding to do. He says, her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, I'll talk about that in a second, planned to dismiss her quietly. This is what he decides to do. Um, he loved her. He was unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, right? He loved her. He cared for her. He didn't want her, um, you know, to be a disgrace, and he was going to do it as quietly as he could, whatever that looked like. But the bottom line is, she had sex with someone outside of marriage. 
She's damaged goods. She is death by stone worthy. She is disgraced. So he wants to get rid of her privately. And what that means is that like, dismissing her quietly means she has to leave, leave town. She has to go somewhere else. She has to leave her family if they don't want to follow her. She has to go somewhere else and live on her own. This is Joseph's second option. I mean, would you want to stay engaged to someone who, while you're engaged, got pregnant by someone else? That's a tough, that's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. But here's why that's a bad option for Joseph. Because word gets around. One day Mary starts to show. The next day, Mary's out of town. People know that Joseph have, has called off the engagement. Joseph has gotten rid of her. She's nowhere to be found. What do people start thinking? They're not going to think it was because it was someone else's baby. Because if that was the case, Joseph would have just had them executed. Joseph would have had them stoned. People are going to start talking. They're going to start saying to themselves, oh, this was Joseph. This was Joseph that did this. Um, and now Joseph's reputation is going to be ruined if he sends her away. Joseph is going to have to face, he's going to have to make up all the excuses. He's going to have um, to deal with this. In that culture, now he is damaged goods. Now he is a bad guy on top of it. Option one, he's restored, good to go, but she's dead. Option two, she's disgraced. She has to leave the community, move somewhere else, and who knows how that will go, right? And that day, people were not good to single moms. I mean, she could have had to have moved to another village, and she might not have ever been taken care of. I mean, she might have died along with the baby. He's a little disgraced in option two, if not very disgraced, but at least she's still alive. Neither of those things are good options. That was his, that was his crossroads. That was what he was faced with. This was the decision that was thrust upon him, not of his own choosing, not something he would ever wish on someone else, but it was his decision to make nonetheless. He had to decide, and the clock is ticking. What do you do? Have you ever met this point at that crossroads? Of course you have, right? Do you, do you go for the second round of chemo or not? Do you go for the surgery or do you go for a second opinion? Do you give the person one more shot or do you let the relationship go, right? Do you stay with that job or do you take the new one? Do you put mom in the nursing home or do you give it a go at home? Do you do the risky thing that costs a lot, that puts you out there? Or do you kind of go the path you're going now to protect yourself, keep it easy? Do you stay or do you move? Do you stop with two kids, do you have three? Do you adopt the third kid or not? Do you marry or not? Maybe you've been in a situation where your spouse, where your boyfriend, your girlfriend has cheated on you. Like, do you, do you stop there and try to reconcile? Or do you move on? A lot of us face decisions like this or are faced with a crossroad. Sometimes it's because it's been thrust on us. Some, sometimes it's because of what we've done. Some are these hard, crisis-like moments like it was for Joseph. Some of them are good opportunities that we have, having to choose between good things. A lot of times it's not, though, right? There's no good options. Sometimes there's no clear path. Sometimes there's just no map to life. And that's life, isn't it? Not quite sure what's next. Wouldn't it be nice if in that moment we could turn to Jesus 
and Jesus would actually come alongside us and speak into our life, shine that light onto our path to show us the way forward. Listen, that's what Christmas promises. That the birth of Jesus means light on our path to guide our feet into the way of peace. I think a lot of us, a lot of the problems that we have, that we face in this world, we are so messed up at times because we are just not good at making these decisions. We're not good at basing the things we do off of the light that he has shined onto our path. We are one giant ball of mixed up decisions. We haven't learned to choose wisely. We haven't learned how to decide. We haven't learned how to navigate that path where we can't quite see. For a lot of us, we don't decide based on that light that Jesus shines. Maybe we haven't even entered into a relationship with Jesus yet where this light is something we can even like start to see, start to be made real with. For a lot of us, we choose based on, I think, two different things, and they're related. One is ease. What's the easy decision? What's the simplest? What's the not making waves decision? Sometimes it's the right one, but not often. The other thing we base our decisions on is what I'll just call conventional wisdom. What would conventional wisdom say? It's worth listening to conventional wisdom. Sometimes it's right, but not always, and it's typically not so simple. We make a lot of easy decisions. We choose convenience to ourselves rather than what's right. We choose the path of least resistance rather than the difficult thing that might cost us something but be better. We choose what's familiar rather than what's daring. We choose self-security, self-protection, greed, rather than generosity, rather than the common good, which is harder. We choose pleasure and feeling good rather than sacrifice and faithfulness. Rather than the narrow path, we choose the wide road that's just easy to walk down. Or we do conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom, this is what our culture says is the right thing to do. Culture's, conventional wisdom says, move up the ladder, right? You have to be the biggest. You have to be the best. You have to drive to succeed by the world standards. That's how you get ahead. That's what this conventional wisdom says. Conventional wisdom says, keep the affair a secret. Keep the addiction to yourself. Keep the problems your problems. Don't confess it. Don't seek help. You have the strength to get through this on your own. You don't have to talk about it. It will all work out in the end. Just hush. Hush. Conventional wisdom says, um, do what's best for you. Do what's best for your wallet, for your popularity, for your status, for your position, for your power. Conventional wisdom says, don't go out on a limb for someone else. The limb might break. It's not safe. Don't do it. Conventional wisdom says, you're going to want to have the girl stoned. You're going to want to kick her out, right? That's, that's, that's the conventional wisdom that Joseph was faced with. Listen, when we surrender our choices, our crossroad moments to the conventional wisdom of our culture or just to the easiest decision, it's a disaster. It's a disaster every time. Inflicted pain gets passed on. People are neglected. People are stepped on or worse. Greed becomes just the way of life. When we decide like this, it is like we are groping around in the dark, just guessing, just hoping we could figure out what the path is, that the path doesn't lead us off a cliff. I think you know what that's like. I think you know this um, problem, because I bet some of us, maybe all of us, have made decisions like this. We've made some of those wrong turns. This is where Joseph is at. What does he do? 
He's faith with this decision, crossroads. He's put in a position where he doesn't want to have to choose, but he has to choose. What do you do in that moment? Matthew continues. But just when he is resolved to do this, he decides to do it. Just when he resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And let me just say this real fast. Um, angel of the Lord, this is a messenger sent by God to tell Joseph what God needs to hear. To tell God, um, Joseph what he needs to do. Um, literally, to give God's word to Joseph so that Joseph knows which direction to go. This is lamp on the feet, light to the path, like in person. That's what, that, that's what the angel is. He says, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And just like that, a third option appears. Doesn't like option one, doesn't like option two, third option appears. Marry the girl. This option has never been taken up in the history of the world. No one has ever done this, married the girl who got pregnant while you were engaged. This option wouldn't have occurred to Joseph. It wasn't on his menu of decisions to make. He would never have thought to actually do this. He couldn't have thought because, listen, he didn't have all of the information as to what God was up to in that moment. He didn't know what God was doing. At that crossroads, God was doing something bigger than him. He didn't know it. He didn't know that what life had thrown at him, what the true circumstances were, were actually not two bad options, but there was a third option that God was going to guide him to. And do you know why he didn't know that? Listen to this word from God to you. To you who are at a difficult point, tough decision to make, just suffering, can't see the way forward. Listen to what God says to you in this moment. This is why Joseph couldn't see this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God has a way that we simply do not have a way of seeing sometimes. He continues that passage in Isaiah. Listen to this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You understand that, right? Rain comes down, waters the land, crops grow, people eat. Just as that process happens, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent. God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes we cannot see the way forward, right? This is pictured just prototypically um, in the Exodus story, right? The people of Israel fleeing from Egypt. There's a big body of water in front of them. They can't see the way forward. They could not imagine what the safe way forward would be. And third option comes. God's going to part the sea. He's going to make a way through the water. They couldn't have imagined that because his ways are not our ways. But when God decides to do something, 
When God makes a promise to you to do something in you and through you, he is going to see a way forward to make that happen. And do you know how he shares with us what that way is? Do you know how he tells us? It's through his word. It's through his word when it comes to us. It goes out of his mouth and interrupts us, stops us dead in our tracks, and shows us a different way if we're open to it. If we're open to believing it. God promises to see it through, to see that it happens. And this is, this is the good news of Christmas. That's what's happening here in the birth of Jesus. What was, what was on the line here for Joseph wasn't just his shame. It wasn't just his honor. It wasn't even Mary's life. It was the birth of the Savior. On his own, Joseph would have fallen back on whatever the easiest decision was or whatever light conventional wisdom had to shed. But God's word comes to him, disrupts him with new information, new direction, new options, new light. The angel says, you're going to want to keep this kid. You're going to want to keep him. Don't, don't have her stoned. Because, and you're going to name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Conventional wisdom is never going to shed that light. Culture is never going to give you that opinion. It's never going to be the easy answer. Conventional wisdom is going to have that mother cast out or killed along with the baby. Along with the baby that would become the savior of the world, yours and mine. That's what's at stake for Joseph. I don't know what's at stake for you at your crossroads. I don't know, right? Joseph couldn't have known what was at stake at that point. We can't answer. We don't know. But I could say for a lot of you, me too, we look back on some of those really big, difficult decisions in life and we say to ourselves, gosh, what a mistake. I wish, that, I wish I had different information. I wish I let the light of God shine onto my past so I could have seen the way forward. At the crossroads, not a lot of good ways to go, tough options, unsure of where to go, can't see clearly. At that moment, God's word comes and speaks clearly, sheds new light. That's what we need more of. That's what we need to learn um, to look for and see, right? So there's a few big things I want to say about the way that God's word comes to us. And I'll go through this quickly. Um, first, don't expect angel visits, right? Just don't expect that. That's not the way God speaks really typically anymore, in part because of Jesus, right? Jesus is God in person. He was born. He lived. He suffered. He died. Um, he was raised from the dead. And then he was you know, he's brought back to life, and Jesus is with us still. Jesus is alive, and Jesus can speak for himself. That's what this relationship with Jesus is all about. He actually speaks for himself. We don't need angels. We have Jesus. Jesus can actually speak to you, and here's how he speaks. He speaks through the words. He speaks through the words of Scripture. That's how he speaks. That's why, that's why we work so hard up here. I said that last week. That's why we want you reading the Bible. That's why we give you the Bible for free. That's why we have a plan to read the Bible. That's why we talk about it together with other people in our community groups. That's why we encourage you to talk about it together. Because when his word comes into our ears and it comes into our minds and it goes into our hearts, it changes us, it transforms us, it forms us into people who can hear God actually speaking to us through those words that have shaped us. He still speaks. If you want to turn on the light of his way, open up scripture. That's what that, that's what that comes down to. Another big thing I want to say about this. Um, be open to his light shining on your path on the way forward. Be open to asking for it, 
right? Joseph was a righteous man, which means he probably was used to talking to God and asking, be open to asking for wisdom. Be open to asking for it. Um, the Psalms say over and over again, I'll instruct you, I'll teach you. My word's a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. God wants to give you wisdom. God wants to do that. It's why Jesus came, in part, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You ever think about that? That God is personally invested in you making good decisions and seeing the path illuminated rather than the path in front of you dark? God is personally invested in you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants what's best for you. Why else? Because he has a plan for this world to bring this good news to those around, and he has a you have a part in that plan. And really, he's sick and tired of you making bad decisions. He wants to shed that light on you so that you could be the witness, you could be the Christ follower, the man, the woman who you were made to be. So ask for it. Here's the other thing, though. Be open to being wrong about your life. Joseph was wrong about his life. He thought he had two, bad deci two decisions to choose from. He was wrong. He had a third decision. He didn't know about it. So be open. Be open to being disrupted your typical thought processes, your typical problem-solving mechanics, the equations that fire off in your head. Because when God's word comes to us, it disrupts all of that. It has a tendency to do that. It did for Joseph. Be open to that. Be open to, uh, A, it being something you don't really expect, but B, it being something you don't like. The Bible is littered with stories of people for whom God's word comes to them, and they're like, oh, God. I don't want this. I mean, Moses is the, the prime example of this. He's doing fine for himself. And God comes to him and says, hey, Moses, you need to go back to Egypt, back to the most powerful people on earth who you are running as a fugitive from. And um, I want you to speak to the Pharaoh there and tell them that all the slaves that you have, all those free laborers, the people who make your economy so cushy, we're going to put an end to all that. Because the God who, we, who, who you worship, who you don't, you know, Egypt's, Egyptians don't worship. Um, he's saying so. Moses is like, yeah, I, I, would, I would really rather not. That's something I could do without. And God says, look, I, don't, I know you don't know the way. I will show you the way forward. Moses said, I can't speak. God says, not a problem. I'm going to figure out how to get you to speak. God, God gives the way forward. We might not like it. The other thing I want to say, sometimes what God says is just hard to believe. It's just hard to believe that it's possible, Right? I mean, think about the position that Joseph is in here. Think about what he's asked to um, be open to, to believe, and to act on. He's asked to believe that Mary didn't get pregnant by someone else, uh, that she did get pregnant by God, by the Holy Spirit, which they have really no way of like, understanding what that was even like. He was asked to operate in life as if that was true and fine, Meanwhile, no one else, his family, think about telling that story to your family, right? His friends, the people who he worshiped with, like, they didn't know this story. He's, he's asked to um, be open to it, to believe it, and then to act on it. He's asked to go do that, to carry the shame that was going to come along with this, to carry the dishonor that was going to come along with this, to endure the glances, the looks, the people trying to kick you out, the people who don't want to do business with you anymore because of this, he was asked to endure all that, to be open to it, to believe it, to act on it. I want you to think for a second of the thing in your life that you're asked to believe that seems impossible to believe. 
you're asked to believe that forgiveness is actually something that could happen and reconciliation and renewal can happen. You're asked to believe that. You're asked to believe that the addiction that has so ruined your family can actually be um, managed. It can actually be turned around. You're asked to believe um, that life will go on without the job that you were counting on, without the relationship that you were counting on, without the home that you were counting on, without the secure future that you had dreamed up in your head. You're asked to go on believing that stuff. And is it Is it more impossible to believe that than what Joseph was asked to believe? I don't think so. Yet, he believes. He lets that light shine on his path. He chooses to believe the word from God, even if he cannot see how it's possible. So don't just be open to it, but believe it. Choose to believe it, even if you can't quite figure out how that's possible yet. Choose to believe even if you can't believe. And that might not make any sense, but it will. It, that will make sense. Because look, our faith, our belief, our faith is ultimately not in our ability to believe things that are unbelievable. That's not what faith is. That's making yourself think a certain thing and believe a certain thing. Faith is trusting in God's character. Faith is trusting in God that he's going to actually carry you through even if you cannot see a way forward. Faith is trusting in God even if you can't believe in God in that moment. And God helps us with this. Look at, how this is, look at how this story continues and concludes. All this took place to fulfill the promises that God made a long time ago. Spoken through the Lord by the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And this is, this is why we can carry forward in a way trusting in God, even though we can't see the way forward, because God is with us. Because God is with you. And if you turn to him, receive him, receive that light onto your path, Um, you can move forward in a whole different way. Your life can be totally different because of this. And then the last thing I'll say about all of this, uh, God's word coming to us. Be open to it, believe it, but then most importantly, act on it. That's what's compelling about Joseph. Not that he believed it, not that he was open to it, but that he actually did it. Joseph awoke from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, no matter relations, until she had born a son and they named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. He does what God says. That's where his impact on the world mattered. If Joseph just believed this and was just okay with this and was just open to us, we wouldn't have had a savior. He needed to act on it, and he did that. Because of that, we have a savior today. And that brings us to our conclusion this morning. It kind of wraps up. The birth of Jesus brings light to us, his presence to us, the word that is a light upon his path. And the question that I just want to ask and leave for you this morning is, are you open to it? Are you asking for it? Are you seeking it out? Are you looking to believe it? Are you looking to act on it when he speaks to you? The promise that Christmas holds out to us is that when we let there be light in our lives, when we enter into the relationship with Jesus where he can actually speak into us, um, he will direct our path. He will show us the way forward. He will guide our feet into the way in peace, into the way of peace. Don't let another Christmas season go by with the light of Christmas, the hope of Christmas being for someone else. Let it be for you this season. Open your heart to him. 
Ask him for it, believe in it, act on it. Let's pray that God would do that. God, we thank you that your word still speaks, that you come to us, that you surprise us, that you interrupt us, that you redirect us. We pray that you would do that, Lord. For those of us in this room who, um, who need clarity on the way forward, who need light to be shed on the path, who need to be directed, who need to be open to that light actually coming in, who need to be receptive to it, help us, help us. Open our hearts um, to trust in you rather than to trust in the easy decisions, rather than to trust in the conventional wisdom. Help us to trust in you. And so we ask you, God, that you would show yourself to us again. Lord, you promised to be God with us, Emmanuel. We pray that you would show that to us so that we can uh, follow you and trust you. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would surprise us. Tell us things we weren't expecting. Show us the way forward. Help us to trust in you that even though, um, you know, the waters might be deep in front of us, there's a way through it, and you've got that in your hands. God, uh, the light that was born in Bethlehem on that day, um, as we sing sometimes, it fills all the world today. And we pray that you would make it so that we can let that be in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and we, we worship you now. In your name we pray. Amen.